0: So our passage this morning is from the Sermon on the Mount, which we started a couple weeks ago with Pastor Gary, and it is in Matthew chapter 5. So if you could turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5, that would be awesome. I'm going to read verses 13 through 16. Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 through 16. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its taste, how can it be made salty? It's no longer good for anything, but to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city situated on a hill cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and puts it under a basket, but rather on a lampstand, and then it gives light To all who are in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. Let's pray. God, help us to understand your word this morning as it applies to us individually, but also as it applies to us as your body, the body of Christ. We pray that your spirit would teach us, remind us, equip us for the work of your ministry in the kingdom of God here on earth. We pray this in your name. Amen. Now, there may be a time or two like me that people have referred to you as salty, but in today's vocabulary, that's actually not a compliment. If someone says, like my children said to me once, Dad, you're awfully salty today, I think it means you're grumpy, right? Is that what you would say? It's a, it's a term that you're, you're grumpy or you're snappy or something like that. Jesus didn't use it in that way. Jesus taught about salt and about light because it was, they are both two things that influence the world around them. The, Jesus is actually speaking about the word influence. And so the message today is about you and I, salt and light, being influencers. Being influencers in the world for God. So I want you to think about that word influence as we talk about salt and a little bit about light today. Many of you, maybe not all of you because you're not all on social media, but anyone who is has maybe heard the term influencer, a social media, media influencer. Um, these are, for some reason, uh, people who have millions of followers, some of them. Followers are those who, who, who look at them and try to emulate them and, and want to hear what they have to say and do what they have to do. And those people who are influencers make lots of money on the internet. Companies actually run to them with their products and give them their products so that they can promote their product for them in hopes that the influencer will influence all their followers to purchase that product. So there's a connection between the influencers and those whom they are influencing. As believers, I think we also have a great power, in fact, a greater power to influence our world than somebody on TikTok or social media. Don't you? I hope you would agree. Because God has given us the power of the Holy Spirit so that we may influence the world towards Jesus. Turn them towards Jesus, away from the darkness, away from the the decay of this world, and towards life himself, Jesus Christ, our living hope. So by the power of the Spirit... We are called to go out into the world, a world that is full of decay and darkness and death, and rescue the souls of men and women from their destruction to their new life in Christ. This is the role that we have. These, these are the things we are supposed to be influencing people towards, a new life in Christ, a change, a purpose, an eternity with God. In our passage this morning, Jesus is telling the disciples and us, those who are his followers, that the church is alive and that the church is powerful and that the church, when filled with the Holy Spirit, which is the church, when we live our lives for him, something is supposed to happen in the world and that something is not supposed to be a secret It's not supposed to be a little thing. It's supposed to be a big thing. When Jesus came into the world, he had a big plan. Not a little plan for a few people, but a plan that is to involve the whole world. And that's something bigger than any one of us could do. That's why I had Tanya illustrate, like, take one of those single grains of salt and put it in the cup or put it in the, the container and see if it makes a difference. Now, it does chemically make a difference. So I don't want to discourage you as individuals, but I want you to know that as the body of Christ, as the church of Jesus Christ on the world, in the world today, we're like that whole cup of salt. We make a big difference. We don't often see it, and sometimes God doesn't even allow us to see it because it's for his glory, not for us to get puffed up, look what I did, look what I did, but we are making a difference. We are making a difference, and I hope that you with me will discover that this morning. If you are fully participating in the life of Christ, if you're filled with his spirit, if you're sharing Christ with those around you, you're making a difference. Now, if if you've set yourself aside, you're no longer participating, you're now a spectator, then the difference that you're making is less than maybe it should be. And hopefully the message this morning will encourage all of us to make a bigger difference for God, to influence the people and the community around us for Jesus. You see, Holden Chapel was brought together 51 years ago now for influence, because of a purpose that we have, to share the gospel with others. We're not just brought together to sort of have a nice little club that we can all come to and feel happy about and and enjoy each other's company, but just us and no more. We're brought together to be influencers in the world. And sometimes we forget that. So you and I were made to be influencers, which begs the question, which we all have to ask, what type of influence are we having on the world around us? What is the influence you're having, I'm having, we're having together on the world around us? You see, each of us was put here by God to do something which will influence the community around us towards Jesus. Now, you might be sitting here this morning and thinking that you don't make much difference. You don't have a purpose, but I beg to differ with you. And God's word will tell you this morning that is not true. That may be how you feel or think, but that's not based in the truth of what God has done for you. If you are truly a believer in Christ. So, you all have the greatest influence that you could ever have in this world today to make a difference for Jesus and we need to grow into believing that because I think we have a little faith but we need to pray and say God increase my faith help me to believe that I am empowered by the Holy Spirit the Spirit of Jesus to make a difference in the world and to live that way not just think that way but to actually live my life that way you see Jesus Jesus himself is alive in you and in me, and when we gather together in us in a very special way, in a powerful way. So I want you to think this morning, not so much as individuals, which is hard for us as Americans because we're very individual thinkers. I want you to think corporately. I want you to think body of Christ. I want you to think us together, So not just you as an individual, but the church alive and working together for the purposes of God. Because we have a reason to be here, and the reason is to help bring about change. By the power of God, not our own desires, but God's will, God's change in the world. And each one of us has gifts and abilities that are part of that change, part of the church, part of the body of Christ, which is created to bring Jesus into the world. So... Both of the substances which are mentioned in the verses this morning, salt and light, they are both effective change agents that affect another substance in a very radical way. Salt, in order to be effective, must come into contact with something else. If salt is in the salt shaker, it's not being effective if you shake the salt on your food, the change begins to take place. I need you to understand that. It's when we are active, when we are doing what we were intended to do, not just sitting in a salt shaker somewhere or in a cabinet in a big round tube, but when we're actually involved in the community around us, involved in the conversations, involved in the people's lives, caring for and and loving others, that the transformation begins to take place when we come in contact with other people we see this in the life of jesus it's so obvious he didn't come and set himself up on the top of a mountain in a temple far away and you know far away from others he came and he went down there into the lives of people ordinary people sinful people bad people good people people who thought they were good but really weren't he got involved in their lives and when he came into contact with them Something happened. Amen? You read the Gospels over and over again. Someone gets healed. Someone gets delivered. Someone's mind is changed. Someone's life is is brought radically into another direction. Whenever Jesus comes into contact with people, change happens. Like when you shake the salt on your food, it changes the taste of the food. If you use enough salt. Because together we are enough salt. So when Jesus said, you, we are the salt of the earth, his statement is an emphatic statement. An emphatic statement is literally translated like this. You and you all alone are the salt of the earth. There is no other salt. You are the only salt of the earth in God's kingdom, in his economy, in the way that he designed things. There's no other salt. We, we can't wait for someone else to do the kingdom work. We can't wait for someone else to bring Christ to the world. And unfortunately, some of us have been doing that. we have just sort of sitting in the back and eating some popcorn and sipping on our soda and just sort of watching the world go by. But we were created to be the salt of the earth, the change agents through Christ, through the power of the Spirit in the world around us. You see... When you ask someone to pass the salt to you, do they put a little salt in their hand, take one little crystal of salt and pass you a piece of salt? No, they don't, right? We, we together, we can do this together. We're not alone in the process. And I think because we think so individually, we also think that we are alone. And so we kind of lose our courage or our boldness. I don't like to be alone. And if I'm facing a problem, if I'm facing an enemy or I'm facing some kind of difficult person or difficult situation, I love it when someone's with me. And I love it when there's even more than someone with me. The beauty of this church is that we have elder leaders in the church. I'm not alone. I may be the sole pastor right now temporarily, but I'm not alone. There are other men who have joined the ministry with me, and together we face the difficulties, the challenges, the situations. We go to God in prayer. We we ask for wisdom together. And that gives me so much more courage to lead and to guide and to minister the way that God created me to minister. Well, that's true for you as individuals as well. It's not just true for pastors and elders. It's true for all of us. We're not good when we're alone. That's what the book of Genesis says It's not good for man to be alone. I'll make a helper for him. I'll I'll put him in community. I'll I'll give him a family. I'll help him to be a part of something bigger than himself so that he has the courage to do some of the things that I call him to do. So we have to stop thinking about ourselves as just a tiny little piece of salt. We are together the salt of the world, the salt of the earth. And there is no other salt. So no one else is going to do the job that God has called us and equipped us to do. It's our job. It's our job to be used by God to bring change in people's lives. Now, we don't change them, but introducing Jesus or allowing them to meet Jesus somehow begins the change process. And that's the exciting thing about being a believer. It's not something... Being salt is not something we're aspiring to or trying to, and, and, and I know I'm not doing a good job of that this morning because sometimes I find myself even, even drifting into that kind of thinking. We're not sitting here saying, oh, I got to be better salt. We're already salt and light, this passage says, salt and light in the world, collectively and uniquely for Jesus. The salt of the earth is sitting right here in the room right now not something we need to take a class for and learn to be salt. You are salt. Accept it. Receive it. He called you salt. He doesn't say, I would like you to become the salt of the earth. He says, you are the salt of the earth. Already. Complete. You are the salt. So as we sit here in this room at 279 Reservoir Street in Holden, we're sitting here as salt together. Say hello to the salt around you. Hello, salt. Nice to see you. We're also sitting here in this one room here on 279 Reservoir Street in the middle of a community, a community that has some other salt in it, but also has some darkness in it, also has some decay in it. And so as we gather as salt and light, we're placed in a community, not separate from the world, but in the world, not of the world, as scripture says, but in the world for a purpose, for a reason. So Jesus has us here for that purpose, to bring him up in conversation, to bring him up into the situation so that others can find him. It's up to us to make sure that we live into that purpose. How? Well, let's remember the beginning of this Sermon on the Mount a couple of weeks ago with Pastor Gary. When Jesus says to us now, you are the salt of, in the light of the world, his statement isn't abstract or, or, or separate from what he has just spoken of in the previous verses. Being salt and light is the result of living the Christian life that he just described for us in the Beatitudes. When you live as citizens of the kingdom of God, when you live humbly, when you live mercifully, when you live as peacemakers, you're being salt. You're doing the work of salt and light. We are to influence the world positively for the kingdom of God. It's not always accepted by the world. We know that because one of those Beatitudes talks about the persecution that sometimes comes. But we're not to give up, we're to continue on. So today we're going to examine what it means to actually be salt. So as you think about the words in verse 13 of Jesus, why do you think that Jesus would use salt? Of all the things in the world and in the universe, why would he use salt to describe us? There's a purpose, there's a meaning for that. And I don't know that we can get completely into every reason why, but we're gonna talk about four of them this morning. You know, we think about it. Salt is just sort of a very common thing all around us. There's people all around us. We're very common. We're people. We're not perfect. We're not great. We're not kings in, 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 you know, in, uh, in charge of kingdoms or whatever. We're, we're ordinary people. And salt is an ordinary thing. You can find it, you can find it in the ocean. You can find it if you dig down into the ground. There's salt in there. So it's, it's, it's not gold. It's not diamonds. I mean, we'd love it. Jesus said, you are the diamonds of the world. Like, we'd love that, right? Because, oh, yeah, diamonds. It's so valuable, so wonderful. You are valuable and wonderful, by the way. But he's using salt for a reason. And he lived in the first century. So we're, we're a little bit distant from that. We need a little help to understand what... Why would he choose that? Well, interestingly enough, talking about value, salt in the first century was very valuable. Very valuable. Because they did not have refrigeration or freezers to put their food in. And they liked food like us. They wanted to eat. They wanted to be nourished. They needed that. And so salt became extremely valuable in Rome... Salt was thought of as divine, that it was a given to us by God somehow, that he placed it here on the earth by God. It was a divine gift. Now, they actually had a word for it, theon. Theon means divine or godly. So salt was godly to them. The Romans said that nothing was more valuable than salt and sun, Because in the day without refrigeration, the only way to prevent your food from rotting, the only way to have preserved food, especially meat, was to rub it with salt and dry it in the sun. So salt was extremely valuable. That means that salt can actually, and it does do this, prevent bacteria from growing. It keeps those little microbial growths. From from multiplying, it helps to keep the food from rotting, from fungus, from other other things that would make us sick and would would poison us. It was so valuable, in fact, that the Roman soldiers were actually paid with salt. That's what this little illustration is. There's actually a little a little thing up in the corner where you have that dark behind it, the black behind it. That's called salt money. And that was what they were paid at the end of a month. Here's your salt money. And they're happy with it because salt is valuable. Now to us, that's that's just like otherworldly, but it was really the case. When Jesus was speaking about salt, it didn't feel the same as when we speak about salt. We take salt and we throw it on the ice on our, on our walkway. You know, like, oh, just throw it a big bag of 50 pounds of salt. We dump it when it gets icy outside. Like, it's not as valuable. It's still valuable so we don't break our neck, but it's not as valuable as it was then when Jesus spoke these words. In fact, the word salary, if you receive a salary, means salt. Salary, salt, s a l. S-A-L, starts with the same letters, comes from, is derived from that word. So that's not the only reason, but, but we need to remember, when Jesus said, you're the salt of the earth, he's not saying you're not valuable. I'm just going to throw you, you know, out on the walkway. But we'll get to that in a moment. That does happen, but that's not what he's saying about us. The second thing that we need to know about salt is that salt heals now, I grew up in East Gloucester, so you know, the ocean was like right there outside my door. And it was interesting as a kid, because if I cut myself or scratched myself or whatever, something happened to me, and, I, and it was summer and I was in the ocean, I mean, that thing would heal up so quickly, because the salt from the salty water would be in the wound, and before I knew it, the, the scab had come off, and there's nice pink flesh back there again, and we could just go on with life. Because salt has the ability to heal wounds. It actually keeps them from infection, just like it does with preserving meat, keeping the, the, the infection from growing, the microbes from, from multiplying. It does the same thing on our bodies when we're still alive, right? It's an antibiotic of old. We now have antibiotics. I don't know if they have salt in them or not. They probably do. But, but we have something called saline solution, Saline, S-A-L, salt, again, S-A-L. So salt not only is valuable when Jesus speaks these words, but is also a healing agent for our bodies. It's an antiseptic that can be poured onto a wound and heal that wound and help it to heal. The only problem with that is that salt stings a little bit, doesn't it? It stings a little bit. And sometimes we just like to be nice. You know, the whole nice thing, like, just be nice. Don't tell the truth. It might hurt them. Sometimes they need to hear the truth. And sometimes the truth does hurt them. But if the truth brings healing, it sets them free, right? So those of you who would like to be a nice guy like me, sometimes we're not as salty as we should be. We need to speak a little more clearly and more directly about the truth in people's lives so that they can be set free and healed from those wounds. Jesus didn't say that we were supposed to be honey. He didn't say, you are the honey of the world or you are the sugar of the world. He didn't say that. Some of us would like to be that because everybody wants to be liked, right? But you are the salt of the, wor- of the world. You're the salt of the world. So if sin is our wound, which leads to death then salt can be part of the healing process that leads to life. So this is why Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians two fifteen and 16. For we are the fragrance of Christ to God among those who are being saved, but among those who are perishing, to the one we are the aroma of death to death, and to the other the aroma of life to life. Sometimes it is difficult. And that's why the Beatitudes talk about persecution coming to believers. So even though you are doing the right thing and saying the truthful thing, the response of the person who's receiving that may not be pleasant, may not be wonderful, but it's the work of the kingdom of God. It's necessary. It needs to be said. So we need to recognize that. How many of you gargled with salt water as a kid? When you had a sore throat, grandma said, go get some salt, put it in some warm water, stir it up, and gargle with it. You can spit it out. You don't have to drink it. You can spit it Because there's a process for cleansing that takes place there and even healing a sore throat. The third thing that salt does is it prevents decay. Salt prevents decay. We've talked about that a little bit. Salt is a preserving agent that prevents the food from rotting. So my question is, Is the church the only thing that God has placed in the world, believers, keeping the world from rotting away into evil? Are we standing up against evil? When things are dead and dying, they're in a state of decay. And salt can be used to slow down or stop decay, but salt cannot reverse decay. We would love to make the world a better place. Than it is currently We don't have that power God does We don't have that power in ourselves But are we able to stop some of the decay Or delay some of the decay I think we are I think we can be part of a group of people Who stop things from getting worse Stop things from continuing to to kill and destroy The way that the enemy designed it to Christians are supposed to be an agent to keep the world from decaying so quickly. And I think we have been in past history. Hopefully we are in current history. If you remember, we are responsible for, for preserving morality, what is right and wrong. We are agents to keep the world from, from injustice, from treating innocent people cruelly We are those who are supposed to have a social conscience. Historically, the church has been credited with many of the advances in these areas. Some advances in science and medicine and prison reform and orphanages and the abolition of slavery and child labor and education and literacy. The church has been at the forefront of these things. What are we at the forefront today? That's a question we need to answer. You see, the kingdom of God has flavored the world in very significant ways. Can you imagine a world with no morality, with no boundaries, with no standards of right and wrong? It's not too hard to imagine it. We're getting closer to that. But we are here for a reason and a purpose, and it is to slow down that decay. For salt to work, it must be mixed in or on something else. That's what helps to preserve what's left of what's good in that thing. My mom was brought up on a farm, and they had to be very conservative with food and and things like that because they didn't have a lot of money. It wasn't a prosperous farm. It was just a farm. And when we were kids, we couldn't understand because sometimes food looked like it was moldy and rotten in the fridge, and she'd make a soup out of it. Sometimes she cut off the bad parts. I wish she cut off more. But sometimes she'd cut off a bad part and throw that in the garbage, and then she'd make a soup out of it. And she'd say, "Well, if you boil it, all the bad stuff dies anyway, so it's okay." You know. And, and then we'd have our soup. You know. So, so, mom, I'm sorry. I know you watch these messages, um, but it's the truth. So you you've all done this. You you take out a whole bar of cheese, and on the end is like some some yucky cheese. So you just cut the bar in half and keep the good half, right? so that's the process we should be in, we need to focus on the good, we need to try to find ways to do good, we need to try to find ways to bring about good in our world, it's still possible, it's not completely dead, it's not completely gone wrong, although some of you say that, you listen to too much of a certain news station, and pretty soon the whole world's going to hell in a handbasket. it's not the whole world, it's just what they're reporting on for you to, to feed on there, so be careful how much you feed on that, there's a, there's a movie out right now called, called the, the Sound of Freedom. And this is one person's or one group of people's attempt to try to stop an evil in the world. And so they are trying to bring it to our attention. And they're trying to get people to watch the movie and then do something about what they've just seen and felt and experienced in the movie. I'm not telling you to go to the movie. I'm just saying there are people who are doing this, trying to, to bring about justice, trying to bring about something good where evil right now is reigning. And that's the, the Spirit of God. That's the salt of God in the world. So the fourth thing we need to talk about this morning is something very interesting, which I didn't understand until I really got into gardening. But salt is a fertilizer. You think, oh, if I put salt on a plant, it's going to die. Well, if you do it the wrong way, it will, right? You can kill plants with salt, but salt is actually a fertilizer. In fact, Epsom salt, I found this little thing on, on the web, 10 proven uses of Epsom salt in the, in the garden. You get bigger tomatoes, better roses. You know, it kills off certain pests. You mix it in the soil. You can't do too much because it will be too hard on the plant, but it helps the plant to grow. It's also something that's been done for thousands of years. In Jesus' time, salt was also a fertilizer. So salt was a fertilizer, and salt was used to stop decay, and salt was used as money. Salt was a very valuable element. Epsom salt in the garden, it helps to bring things to the plant that the plant doesn't currently have. So think of ourselves as salt. We're to bring things to the world that the world doesn't have enough of. How about love? How about joy? How about peace? How about patience? Goodness? Kindness? Faithfulness? Self-control? I bet the world doesn't have too much of those things. But if we are the salt of the world, and we are mixed in with the world, in a good way, in a healthy way, we are to bring about that result More love, more peace, more patience, more goodness. The fruit of the Spirit is what I'm, what I'm talking about. But, let's move to the but part of this. So, so Jesus is saying salt is valuable. Salt helps to stop decay. It helps to preserve. It helps to, to fertilize and bring into the, the existence the things that need to be there. But Jesus makes a strange statement in this verse, in verse 13. He says, but... If salt should lose its taste, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. Now, technically, chemically, sodium chloride, which is salt, pure salt, can't lose its saltiness. Those, you know, people that like to find faults in the word of God say, well, that's not even possible. Ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba. They didn't have laboratories, factories, the pure salt that we have. They had salt that was dug out of the ground or taken out of a marsh and dried up and then, then the flakes were taken and pushed together. And in that salt, there were impurities. There were things that didn't belong. There were things that could spoil the salt. So although pure salt cannot become unsalty. Salt that has a mixture of other substances in it can be spoiled. And so Jesus wasn't saying something that wasn't possible. He was talking about what he was right in front of. The salt in Jesus' day came from salt marshes, not factories. And if the salt had too many impurities in it, it would spoil. If it had too much Of any kind of organism in it, or anything else, if it it was stored too close to the ground and received too much moisture, those organisms would begin to 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 destroy the salt. And so, what people did with it was throw it out, throw it out, and use it for something. They used it for pathways, so that the the, the hardness of the salt, over time being walked on, would be a good a good uh, cement or a good tar for the top of that pathway to keep the dust from rising up. So, as Christians. We, too, can lose our saltiness when we're mixed in too much with the world, when there's too many impurities that we're allowing to to continue to stagnate in our lives. Believers in Jesus Christ are called to be physically present, but we're also called to be spiritually present. And when we're going to be spiritually present with people, we have to come in purity before them without any other motives, without a desire to manipulate or control or, or, or take over. We can become too much like the world and we lose our flavoring capacity when we blend in too much with the world. When we don't speak truth, when we don't show love, when we laugh at their jokes, when we do the things that they're doing, pretty soon we're no longer salty There's no difference between us and the world. And so what Jesus is illustrating for us is that that's no good. (laughs) That doesn't help the kingdom of God. So I want us to just pause here because we're going to get ready to transition for some baptisms. I want to give you a little study question or a study tool um, it's, it's in our Right Now Media library, and you can become part of the Right Now Media. It's free for everybody here at the church. But there's a, there's a course called Lost Cause. And it is a, a course to help encourage us to be salty, to be light, to, to work together to make the church, the kingdom of God, the things that God is doing in the world, a place where there's There's safety. Right? So the last part of this passage, verse 16, which we don't have the time to get into this morning, is talking about the light in the city. And a city is not a single house or a single person. A city is a whole group of people. Right? So you can't be a city all by yourself. We can't say, like, oh, let's go to Gene's city. Well, we can't. It's just Gene's house, right? But a city is a a lot of people who come together. So Jesus uses, again, this idea of corporate. And he says, we don't hide that under a, a, a basket or a bushel. We put it on a lampstand. And together, we are the light of the world. We are to shine. So as we think about cities, again, our thinking has to change, some of us avoid cities because we think cities are dangerous. The traffic is too much, we're going to get hit by a truck or whatever, or the crime is too high, or there's poverty. But so we don't think of cities the way they thought of cities. When Jesus says, you as a church, as believers, are a city on a hill, he was referring to as a safe place. Because in his day, that's the only place you could find safety and protection. That's where the the police were, the army was. They weren't out in the countryside. They were there in the city. And so people would run to cities to get behind the walls where they could find safety and hope and, and, and healing, really, for their lives. So God has called us to that. Holden Chapel, we need to be salt and light. We are salt and light, but we need to recognize what salt and light means And then begin to live in that way together so that people find refuge in Christ when they're in our midst or when we're in their midst. So I want to ask the worship team to come up at this time. I want to prepare ourselves to remember what it was like if you've been baptized, if you've come to Christ and you've walked through baptism. Remember what it was like when you first followed Jesus. How excited you were to tell people about your relationship with Jesus. We need to be renewed in this just like we do the Lord's Supper, to be renewed in the forgiveness of our sins. We need to be renewed in the excitement of sharing Christ with others. We have four ladies this morning who are going to be baptized one by one, and they're excited about their faith enough that they came forward to be before you guys this morning to tell you about their faith in Christ. So as we prepare, I have a few questions, and we're going to sing a song, and we're going to bring up the first uh, baptismal candidate. What brought you to the place where you decided that you needed Jesus in your life? What brought you there? Did you bring yourself there just through your own searching and discovery, or were there people in your life or a person in your life who shared Christ with you faithfully, And helped you to understand the goodness of God, the grace of God. So that's one question. What brought you there? Try to remember back. Put yourself back there for a moment. Was there someone who showed you what it looked like to follow Jesus? Someone who was faithful. Someone who was kind. Someone who was truthful. Did someone influence you towards Jesus? talk about being influencers. Someone had to have influenced you at some point. You didn't come up with this idea about Jesus. Someone shared it with you, even if it was not a someone, but maybe it was a media. It was television or it was something. But somewhere along the line, someone shared Christ with you. And I know there's a popular belief in New England that faith is a personal thing. Faith and politics, you should keep them to yourself. Well, no one's keeping politics to themselves anymore. I don't know why Christians are keeping faith to themselves. <laughs> right? Used to be, when I was a kid, two things you don't talk about you know in polite conversation, faith and politics. You remember that, right? I'm not making this stuff up. Well, now everybody talks about politics and nobody's talking about faith. And so salt and light needs to talk and speak about their faith.